How would your family story look if God recorded it? The domestic details of Jacob's life are of more concern to God than the rise and fall of kings in that period. Genesis 29 tells us about his arrival at Laban's home, his servitude to Laban, his wives, and then the first four sons that God gives him. For the Lord is our defense, defend us. For the Lord is our defense, defend For the Lord is our defense, defend us. For the Lord is our defense, defend After an unusual experience with God, Jacob travels on his journey, enjoying the ordinary experiences of the Lord's provision. In verses 1 through 8, we see that after 500 miles of travel, he arrives at a well, and gathered around that well are shepherds ready to water their flocks. The well is covered by a rock, probably for sanitation and or security. And Jacob engages with the shepherds and asks them whether they know his uncle Laban. At that very moment, the men are able to say, yes, we know him. And in fact, here comes his daughter. And so we can see already God's providence in Jacob's life. Like Christ, who knows what his sheep need in the heat of the day, in verses 7 through 8, it appears that Jacob rebukes the shepherds for not quickly getting them their water and returning them to their pastures. Now, there may have been good reason for this. The men respond that we wait until all the shepherds are together, and perhaps that was to do with conservation of the water, preventing contamination, or or maybe even just making sure everyone shares the water equally. In verses 9 through 14, Rachel arrives with her father's flock. Jacob ignores the custom, it would seem, moves the rock in order for the sheep to be watered, and he kisses her. I don't think in any romantic sense. He's just overcome with emotion. Here's family. He hasn't seen family in a long time. And he's just moved here in this moment. And so Rachel brings him back to her father's house. Laban also welcomes him and he is made to feel at home. In verses 15 through 20, as Jacob spends his first month there, he shows himself to be a useful man to have around. And in fact, Laban can see this. And so he comes to him with what seems like an innocent question. What shall thy wages be? It seems as if he's just asking him, look, you've been working for free. Let's let's change that. Let me reward you. But what actually is undergirding this is Laban trying to entangle Jacob so that he can't leave whenever he wants. In fact, if you read verses 15 through 30, you'll find that the word serve is found seven times. And that's really what's going on here. Laban is endeavoring to bring Jacob from a position of being a free man into servitude. And of course, the negotiation is relatively simple. Jacob was sent there to find a wife, and as a month has passed, his heart is smitten. And no doubt, Laban can see this as well. He sees the attraction that he has toward Rachel. And so, as he negotiates, Jacob says he will serve him for seven years. Now, in doing so, Laban is using his daughter, Rachel, as if she is property. And some might read that and think, well, that was just normal in those days. But it would seem to me from Genesis 31 verse 15 that that's not the case. As an aside, perhaps it's necessary to comment on uh, Leah's tender eyes. Some have seen this as a negative. In fact, translated as weak eyes or something like that. But I don't think that's what's going on. I think the scholars that see it as that she had beautiful eyes, there's a 
there was a beauty to her eyes in contrast to Rachel who the whole form and face of Rachel was beautiful that that's really how the two sisters are being described. From verse 21 through 30 like a picture of Christ's unending and loving and unwearying desire to gather the elect in as a bride unto himself so we see the seven years for Jacob pass so quickly for him such as the love that he has for Rachel. So it is time for Jacob to be married to Rachel and he approaches Laban but Laban doesn't want to lose Jacob. He is getting very wealthy having Jacob by his side and so he concocts a plan. Now as you read this I can't see any of this working without some measure of compliance from the daughters, both of them. So they're in on this, at least they're aware of it, maybe reluctantly but they're aware of it and know nonetheless. And so they have the feast for the wedding and of course the bride is veiled, the sun has set, the wine is flowing and as they go into the tent together of course Jacob has no clue and he wakes up the next morning and lo and behold rather than being married to Rachel he's married to Leah. And so determined that he must have Rachel and Laban of course wanting to keep Jacob around for longer Jacob agrees to another seven years of servitude to have Rachel as his wife as well. And so from verse 31 through to the end of the chapter it closes with God's sovereignty over the womb as Jacob has four sons from Leah and none from his beloved Rachel. And so we come to application one. Women ought to be people of industry. The idea that our daughters should be taught to dream of being princesses and to think that they're going to be tended to hand and foot like royalty is a train wreck waiting to happen. Rachel, modeling some of the qualities of the woman of Proverbs 31, is out in the heat of the day with her father's flocks. Now she may have had servants with her, that's quite possible, but still it's to be commended. Girls, if you dream of marrying into wealth, and sending your children to private school and sitting through the day with your feet up. Just know that your dream is against the will of God. You ought to be contributing to the family economy both before marriage and afterwards. Two, when prayer is absent, God's favour will come in the form of chastening. There is no mention of God in this chapter and there is no indication of prayer arising from Jacob. Now why is that important? Because there are many parallels between Genesis 24 and Abraham's servant being sent to find a wife for Isaac and this chapter and yet while Abraham's servant is constantly praying and worshipping God here we find none of that. So Christian keep it in mind as you see the chastening hand of God upon Jacob in this chapter maybe it's because of his prayerlessness because if you live a prayerless life the likelihood is you'll also experience the chastening hand of God. 3. God uses wicked men to show his love for his people. We're told, My son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. When you find yourself deceived in this life by labans of various sorts, don't just see the injustice of the one who deceived you. See also the hand of the one who governs over this world and actually uses the deceivers to achieve certain purposes in your life. You might say, well, what's God trying to teach me? Well, holiness for one, and to produce repentance in your life, and so that you might also understand something of the sufferings of Christ and live with greater appreciation 
for what the Lord Jesus did for you on your behalf. Four, God's form of discipline is often that we simply reap what we have sown. Jacob, who was willing to deceive his own father, is now on the receiving end of similar treatment. He is being paid in his own coin, so to speak. Now, I could give a list of biblical examples where someone has done a particular sin and then is on the receiving end of a similar sin. And bottom line is, never think lightly of any sin. It may seem like nothing. It may seem like you can just ask God to forgive you and it's all better. But when it turns and God appoints you to reap what you have sown, it can be utterly devastating keep short accounts with God. 5. The sin of another does not give you license to sin. Jacob had two lawful options open to him after having been deceived. Number one, he could embrace Leah as his wife and leave it there. Number two, he could seek to annul that marriage because it was without his consent. Now Jacob's in a predicament here because if he seeks to annul the marriage, and rejects Leah, then it's likely that Laban's not going to negotiate to give him Rachel anyway. So he's on a policy of Rachel at any cost. And in doing so, he abandons the example of his godly father, Isaac, who had one wife and was a good example to him. And he walks away from that example. Now, here's the point. Whether you wake up the next morning after you're married and you're disappointed at your spouse or 20 years later, you find yourself just not happy in your marriage. Vows are vows, and they are not to be taken lightly. And finally, there is no such thing as a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. The experience of neglect felt by Leah here in this passage is not one that will ever be experienced by a child of God and can be thrown in the face of Jesus Christ. Like the parable of the workers in the vineyard who are all paid a penny, so the grace, love, and forgiveness of Christ is without discrimination. Dear believer, do not doubt that Christ's love for you is equal to his love for any of his people.